0: Well, good morning Salem Heiders and guests. We welcome you here today. We're so thankful that you're joining us for service today. Uh, if you're a first time guest, we would love to have you check out our website at SalemHeightsChurch.org. Uh, also, if you have any questions of us, you can email us at info at Well, this morning we have quite a treat. Uh, A good friend of our ministry, Daniel Cruz, is gonna be leading us in worship. Uh, He's a guest that's been out many times in the past uh, and is gonna be uh, leading us all the way from Florida today. And so, feel free to worship along with him and then we'll hear from God's word. Hello, Salem Heights Church. Um, I have a couple of friends here with me, Pete and Ben, and uh, they were kind enough to help me lead you in some worship. Excited to do this for you. Um, Just wanna start with, The beginning of Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. The end of 103 says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Let's bless the Lord together.
1: The sun comes up it's a Bless the Lord. so, so good, yes, with every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness
0: reading in 2nd Corinthians um, and in the very last chapter, chapter 13, uh, Paul writes what I believe to be the most beautiful benediction um, that he writes in all of his letters. And um, I sat down on a piano, just started playing some chords and uh, put a melody to it. And it made me think of y'all because this isn't y'all, y'all like that. Over there y'all don't say y'all, but um, it made me think of you all and um, this I wanted to pray this over you, so if you wanted to pull out your Bibles, pull to uh, go to Second Corinthians chapter thirteen at the end. I think it's verse eleven, and this is my prayer over you guys. So may the grace of the
1: Lord Jesus Christ and the light Just i <laughs> Love of God and the fellowship of the spirit be
0: you Salem Heights Church I hope to see you
2: soon. Well Salem Heights I pray that uh, you were so blessed by those songs from Daniel. How awesome is it to be able to hear from a family friend in a season like this. Um, I I know uh, Daniel as you're watching this uh, I was greatly encouraged so blessed to hear your voice and your heart so thank you. We're gonna be this morning in Romans chapter 12, verses one through three and nine through 18. I'm gonna encourage you to turn there as I just make some opening observations. we are right now in the middle of yet another season of weirdness. Our world has gone wonky. And my concern this morning is not with addressing the world, or even this late stage, seven, eight months of just concern. The thing that is on my heart, the thing I believe that the Spirit of God has laid on us as a staff, is a concern, not for the world or those on the outside, but for the church. We're getting ready to go into Thanksgiving and Christmas season, and We've packed our bags for this season with a lot of opinions, a lot of statements, a lot of things that we lines that we've drawn in the sand. And the concern that I have for us as a church and that I have for us as believers is that we remember to keep the ultimate things, the ultimate things. What is it we're supposed to be focused on and what will give us peace in this season rather than anger irritation, and separation? What will give us strength? And this passage, I believe, is central to understanding that. Paul has been addressing Romans in what is uh, classically understood to be the most theologically dense and deep book in the New Testament. Uh, Some pastors have admitted that they're afraid to preach from Romans because of its depth and its intensity. Um, I want to read to you from Romans 12, understanding that he's already spent 11 chapters getting to his point. Paul says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed to each a measure of faith. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lack diligence in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their need. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. These are profound words coming from the Apostle Paul, and they reveal his heart. After he gets done giving us all of this information, all of these deep theological truths, he sums it up by saying we need to be a living sacrifice. And he says, in just an overflow of emotion, he says, and these are the marks of somebody who has gotten it. He gives us, I believe, uh, not just in chapter 12, but in chapter 13, 14, and 15, an example to live by. And I'm gonna ask us this morning to consider the scope of those four chapters as they're revealed in these few verses. The first thing that I want you to notice this morning is that living a mature faith requires thought and sacrifice. Thought precedes and gives meaning to our sacrifice. As I said before, Paul has already spoken for 11 chapters. He is already Come to us with all that it means to be saved. In fact, for the first six chapters, he doesn't give us an imperative. In other words, he doesn't give any commands. He just says, this is what it means to be saved, and this is what it cost Jesus, and this is how wicked our hearts are, and this is how far we were from God. This is what he did on your behalf. And then he says, now walk with him, live with him, understand his sacrifice, begin to serve others out of that. He pleads with us for those 11 chapters, and he comes to the beginning of chapter 12 and he says, if you are thinking rightly, it will lead you to become sacrificial in your disposition. You think, you sacrifice, and then you measure whether or not that sacrifice was thoughtfully done. The question he really seems to be placing in front of us is, how far are you willing to go? There's a famous story um, that was in Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story by, about Dr. Evan Kane. Here was a man, a surgeon, who, uh, as an anesthesiologist, he began to look around at all the pain that was in the world, and he was concerned that people were going through not just undue pain, but also undue effects when they would knock them out for a surgery. Sometimes they were using too much medicine and causing harm, and he came up with this idea that we can make surgery less painful Uh, less aggressive on the individual, and very few people believed that he could do it. And so he actually set up an experiment, went into an operating room, prepared the patient, uh, gave them local anesthesia, was able to actually remove an appendix from that individual, sew them up Uh, and show the rest of the world that you could do that with general anesthesia without giving negative effects to the individual. The person that he was doing surgery on was himself. He did that to himself in front of others to show that what he believed was true was actually true. The question for him was, how far am I willing to go to prove to others that I can do this so that they will trust The gospel is begging us the same thing. The world is watching. How do Christians respond when they're put under pressure? How do they deal with all of the events that are around them? How far are you willing to go to put your sacrifice, your love for God on display? What will it cost you? Living a mature faith requires thought and sacrifice. But the second thing that I want you to see here is that living a mature faith can be emotional. It really is evident in verses 9 through 18 that something dramatic is happening in the Apostle Paul. I would like you to understand that the more personal and intense a situation feels, the more likely we are to spew. We're just going to shout stuff out. I can remember one event in the life of our family as our child is walking before us, we're on a family walk, we're out near a busy street. And we're just moving along, and all of a sudden, one of the kids begins to run ahead of everybody else. And we had consistently said, you need to pay attention, you need to listen, you need to uh, listen for the adult voices. But when we said, stop, 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 we didn't see any stopping going on. And a car was coming that was clearly going to collide with our child. We didn't just calmly say, you know, you need to stop or stop it, all of a sudden you could hear emotion in a shout, in a declaration, stop! And there was emotion and fear that was also tied up in that declaration. You need to stop. But also, once the the car was able to stop and the child stopped and the collision was averted, the messaging did not stop there. The car was able to go on, but that child received a strong admonition Don't you know that you need to listen, you need to be aware, you need to... And we began to unload. In that emotional moment, we began to say, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, you need to listen. And what we were actually shouting out there was born out of love, coupled with fear and deep concern. But they were all truths that we wanted to make sure registered in the moment. The Apostle Paul, verses 9 through 18 Uh, begins to make all these statements, let love be without hypocrisy, uh, detest evil, outdo one another with love, rejoice in hope. He just has all of these random statements. In fact, if you read commentaries, you will find in multiple commentaries uh, that the authors of those commentaries tell you this section defies an outline. Why? Why? Paul just gets so worked up when he thinks about what it means to be sacrificially living for Jesus. It all comes pouring out of him. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And why is it coming out that way? Because it is of such critical importance. When the pressure turns on, we struggle to live out these verses, we get overwhelmed. He says it can get emotional. But I want you to see a third thing here, and that is that living a mature faith requires benchmarks. He actually goes through and says, there are things that you can do to put faith on display. A benchmark is an old word, comes out of the 1800s when you would go into a shop, multiple people uh, would be building, um, they would have their craft on display. And in each shop, there would be a statement, a mark on the bench that says, in this shop, This mark shows you what a cubit is. They would mark out a cubit and everyone that had their measuring stick would come and make sure that their stick measured up with the cubit that the shop was using so that all of the things that were built in that place had a uniformity. They were built off of a standard. And the shop master told you this is the standard. Those marks were put in the shop so that everybody would know what the standard was. Benchmark is also used uh, in surveying. There will be a mark and you will see three little lines underneath an, an ultimate line. And it tells you where the horizon is. So they have a leveling bar uh, when they go out into a field or into a place where boundary lines are being decided. Neighbors are trying to find out where is this ancient boundary line? Where is the, the boundaries of my property? How much do I own these Benchmarks are put out there so that future generations would know what the standard is or where it starts. It helps keep the lanes clean. Paul in this section goes from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 15, and we won't unpack every single one of his observations, but he does seem to be giving us eight questions to investigate ourselves, to help us with the benchmarks, help us to know whether or not we are living sacrificially. In 1219, he seems to be asking this question. Do you tend to seek vengeance on those who have wronged you? Or would others call you gracious? In 13.1, he seems to be asking the question, do you struggle to honor governing authorities? Would others call you submissive? In 13.8, he seems to be asking, do you sacrificially serve others? Would others call you faithful? In 1311, he seems to be asking, do you live with an alert awareness that Christ could return at any moment? Would others call you worldly? 141, do you accept and bless those who do not have the same conviction as you do in secondary matters? Would others call you mature? 1413, He seems to be asking, do you avoid stumbling others by restricting your own personal freedoms? Would others call you sacrificial? In 1422, he seems to be asking, do you have a clear conscience over what you would approve? Would others call you double-minded? In 151, he seems to be asking, do you take time to lift up those who are struggling in the faith? Would others call you patient? A mature faith requires benchmarks. Now those questions are intense. And we could probably leave off right there. But the Apostle Paul actually comes back around and focuses in on some application. The final observation I have is that living a mature faith starts at home. He brings it all to one conclusion and applies it. In fact, all of chapter 14 is applied to how you live sacrificially with others who say they love Jesus. How is it that you are working out your faith with those who also say they're working out their faith? And it's one of the central tests Paul has on whether or not you get sacrificial love. He spends the bulk of his time in a very tough place. I tried to summarize what Paul is getting at in in chapter 14 and the heart of his statement here where it says, if possible, as far as it is or it depends on you, live at peace with everyone in 1218 by this statement. We must consider how to lift up the addicted brother, walk alongside the restrictive brother, and encourage the conflicted brother. Those are the three areas. Somebody in our midst is battling with personal addictions. Will you hold back on your freedoms in order to help them flourish? Somebody is struggling with rules and regulations out there. Will you be careful and mindful of how you approach those so that their conscience is not wounded? For those that are conflicted and going either way or immature in their faith, will you be patient as you walk with them or will you just make bold statements and with a front charge ahead? Paul says you need to be mindful that you're walking in a family and how you do this at home matters. I just want to give one very personal illustration to wrap us up. If we're going to apply this, I want you to ask yourself how you handle this one apparatus, a mask. There are three categories of individuals that are watching this this morning. Some who would be categorized as anti-maskers. There's others who are categorized as ultra-maskers. And there's a whole group of you that I categorize as where's my maskers. You have no idea where it is, and you just go with the whim of the moment. All three can live in harmony in the church if they keep the main thing the main thing. I want you to think about this. Your ability to minister to each other is tied to keeping the main thing the main thing. Keep what is ultimate ultimate. I want you to hear me how this applies. If you're an anti-masker, it is possible that you will run into somebody that is a ultra-masker and you will find out that they have felt separated and depressed, that there are, are moments in their life where they feel like they're drifting off and disconnected from everything that is related to being in each other's presence. Have you made your point of view, your opinions, so paramount that you cannot minister to that individual without saying, I told you so? If you're an ultra-masker, are you aware that there are some who are anti-maskers who even in this season have now been touched by COVID? There are some who I say with sadness are, losing family members or have experienced the death of a family member? Have you made your opinions so central and of such importance that you can't minister to that individual without it saying, I told you so? For those of you who are where is your masker, are you living in such a way that nobody believes you respect any opinion? That's not a higher way to live. That is a way that leaves you without a road and without a map. Have you been living with such ambivalence that you do not know what it is that you stand for, and therefore you cannot minister to people on either side without feeling like you're making a declaration? We need to chart a plain path through. Now there are some who have said by asking people to wear masks and by listening to the governing authorities that we've ramped up fear with regards to this disease with COVID. I want you to hear me plainly. I reject that opinion and I want you to hear me why. I have lived in the last five years with actual disease that could kill you. I'm not afraid. We're not afraid of a disease, but we are concerned about giving God glory. We want the way that we live and the style of our life the emphasis of our life to be focused on grace and the gospel i've lived knowing that potentially tomorrow i could die fear of death is not driving me the gospel and grace those are the things that are driving our decisions here if wearing a mask leads to fear, I believe that we can minister to people who are filled with fear because we're wearing our mask and thinking of their fears. If you're concerned about losing your rights or those things, I can actually come and speak to you because we've charted a clear course and we're focused on grace and the gospel rather than our own opinion. You will get a fair hearing here. We're not afraid. We are focused on the gospel and I'm asking you to consider Starting with how you handle a mask, consider what it is that you have made the ultimate thing. Why is this important? Because your Thanksgiving and your Christmas, you're gonna be rubbing shoulders with those you love. By keeping the main thing, the main thing, you will give them a great moment. Your interactions will be guided by grace. And that's a gift that we would want you to give. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be able to apply these thoughts. Four chapters in your word that are for sure important, intense, but also, Father, they call us to account. They force us to look in our own hearts and consider what it is that we have made the ultimate thing. Help us to live sacrificially. Help us to be focused on the gospel. Help us to consider our ways and then make decisions that cost us so that you are glorified. We ask that you would help us to do this in a way that builds others' faith, that causes grace to flourish, that brings peace. Help us to follow through with the conviction from your spirit and your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.